this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group talks to author Alan Hayworth. of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we welcome author Alan Hayworth. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to the Palaver here this evening. We are very happy to welcome a new friend of the Palaver, local to me at least, author Alan Hayworth who is known for such tomes as Peterbilt Journals, True Tales from the Road, Hitchhiking in Boston and Other Stories, Rangebound, Ketchikan, True Tales from the Slime Line, and most recently, Floyd on Film. Alan, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us here this evening. This is going to be quite an interesting conversation. I am, I'm interested to see how this goes. Thanks for having me, Joe. Indeed. All right. So, so Alan, uh, you, you and I have a mutual friend, and I actually have in my hand an autographed copy of Floyd on film. And I have done some homework in playing two of the films and syncing up some Floyd music along with it. We should get into your origin story as an author and maybe just some of the background of the concept of syncing Pink Floyd music to popular film. All right. So um, after college in 1995, I decided to go drive an 18-wheeler, a long-haul truck driver, after my parents had spent a lot of money in private school. And um, I, my intention was to be a Hemingway and to do something different and to write a book about it. So I did. Uh, and so I wrote the Peterbilt Journals, which was a collection of short stories about driving a truck and what it was like to be an 18-wheeler kind of long-haul truck driver. And uh, it was self-published. I did 500 copies and something about doing a small batch like that, it takes on a life of its own and it's ended up all over the world. It's kind of weird. People have emailed me since and whatnot, so they enjoy it, which is nice. Um, and so I've just always been a self-published author and tried to get different stories out there and told. Uh, I've written three or four other books since, and uh, in about, so as far as Pink Floyd, in about 1999, I heard about The Dark Side of the Rainbow for the first time. I'm sure y'all are all familiar with the watching of The Wizard of Oz with Dark Side of the Moon, and yes. I was just fascinated by it. I, I sat and watched it and thought, oh yeah, this really works, and it kind of hit on all of my levels of my brain, coincidences and everything. I, I just thought this is perfect. They clearly meant to do this um, with the most obvious thing of getting up and turning the record when it goes from black and white to color. Mm. So there were just so many things that I thought for about the last 20 years, I've thought there's got to be more, you know? And so I've just kind of turned it over my head, never really did much research on it. And um, about two years ago, I was listening to Have a Cigar. And it just dawned on me that that fox in the Pinocchio movie had a cigar. And I just thought, that's too weird. And I was like, maybe that's it. And so I tried it. I put Wish You Were Here 
and started Pinocchio about the same time. And it dawned on me immediately that Shine On You Crazy Diamond is the first song. And it lines up with Jiminy Cricket singing When You Wish Upon a Star. And I thought, hmm. well, this, this might be something. So that's where the origin of all this came from. That's fun. I did my best to, to hit those songs in particular. So although I did not cover the book word for word, <laughs> uh, I, I dove into the important parts in regards to uh, Pinocchio and Alice in Wonderland. And just to make this crystal clear for the podcast audience, you found two Pink Floyd albums to sync up with Pinocchio and one Pink Floyd album to sync up with Alice in Wonderland. Right. So to be specific, you got to watch Pinocchio from the start of it with uh, the two albums, Wish You Were Here and then Animals together as if it were a double album. And they are sequentially after Dark Side of the Moon. So it's ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump. And then they take a break for a couple of years and they come out with The Wall, which is a double album. And that syncs up with the cartoon animated version of Alice in Wonderland. About 88 minutes. That's cool because I happen to absolutely love Alice in Wonderland. It's it's sort of figured into the raising of my children. It was it was a story and a movie that my daughter really connected to. So I think that's uh that's really spectacular. I, I'd like to go maybe roll back quickly to the beginning when you were <laughs> you were listening to Wish You Were Here and you were thinking about the character in Pinocchio who has a cigar. Did you have any strong affinity for Pinocchio? Did, uh, you know, what, I can't, I guess I'm surprised that someone would suddenly just sort of remember a character in Pinocchio. That's, that's what I wanted to know. Cause I, I was, I was sitting there thinking, what do you just walk into Pinocchio one day and you're like, that's it. I know what this reminds me of. I have two small children. And okay. so they have both made me watch all sorts of stuff through the Disney catalog. So perfect. That, that's probably what it is. I've got a 10 year old daughter uh, who was born in 2010 and a six year old son. So I've, I've watched a lot of movies with them over the years. And I know we watched Pinocchio three or four years ago. So it was fresh in my mind. Okay. Wow. Okay. Nice. That's, that's totally legit. That, and, and, you know, that's one of those sort of um, coincidences in life that, I mean, you can't really plan for, but it, it, you know, both both parts of that puzzle apparently were sort of in your brain and close enough together that you could put them together. I think that's great. So when you when you did this, you know, and, and I mean, was it just immediate? Did you have to sort of try it out a couple different things? How many, you know, different albums, like how many different movies did you try with the wall or did you did you look at the time? Like kind of walk us through a little bit of, of, of how one uh, you know, unravels this mystery. So on Pinocchio, I've, I would uh, set up my iPhone and then and watch the movie on my iPhone and then I'd have the record player going too. And sometimes I'd try to do it, you know, with my work computer too. I have two or three things going at once. And I, that worked pretty quickly. I was like, oh, I think I'm really onto something because of the shine on you crazy diamond matching up when, with wish when you wish upon a star. And I don't feel like there's that many coincidences in Wish You Were Here. There are some, and I lay them out in the book, and I try to give the book the idea that it's a guidebook for you. You know, I try to tell you where all the things are to look for. Uh, but I felt like Animals 
And I was like, well, some, you, you got to fill up the second half of the movie, right? So I was like, well, I'll try animals. And I thought felt like there were a lot of coincidences in the second half. It was really like Roger Waters kind of wrote to the movie in the second mm. half. Mm. And like one of the things is animals starts right off of the bang, whereas, you know, Wish You Were Here has this five minute long instrumental section before they start singing or anything, whereas animals starts right in on the singing. And it's a lot more of a kind of brutal, angry movie, which falls in line with, if you remember in Pinocchio at the end of it, Pinocchio ends up in Pleasure Island, which is a really bad place to be. And then he ends up in a whale and that's a bad place to be. And there's a lot of waves crashing and stuff. And so I, I feel like Animals kind of has that kind of violent, angry feel to it that matches up better uh, with, with the music. Indeed. Yeah, I, I'm curious how many folks uh, of our, you know, basic generation are really familiar with these movies. It turned out that looking at Pinocchio, I wasn't all that familiar with it. So I, I, I had seen the iconic images of boys turning into donkeys, uh, which happens on Pleasure Island. And I had mm -hmm. seen iconic images of the whale, but I don't know that I had a contiguous version of that that film in my head. So it was it was it was eye opening for me to digest that 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 whole thing. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a line that Roger Waters say screams. He's almost a Joker, and it's at the same moment where Lampy turns into a jackass on the screen, and it's just like a Joker is a jackass, a jackass is a Joker. So there's all these play on words that. Roger Waters did a really good job with. Nice. Yeah, I suppose I, 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 should, I should get specific. So, um, you know, mostly I, I was concentrating on the films. It's hard not to. And then I, I would bring up the Pink Floyd recordings where it seemed really instrumental. And there were some places that I found very fun and, and, and oddly coincidental, um, particularly... Uh, Rick Wright does an amazing synth part a few minutes into Shine On, You Crazy Diamond. And that was right when the fairy godmother cast her mm -hmm. wand. And that yeah. really freaked Oh, really? Me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was the first time I'm like, oh, oh, I, I, can, I can do this. Now, 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 now truth be told, um, uh, I started it twice. So I think the first time I started it was a, a little off. And I guess you never really know when it's a fade. Shine On You Crazy Diamond has a very slow fade up type of a be mm -hmm. beginning. So I suppose there, there's no real clapboard old school style way to actually start this other than just, you know, hitting play on uh, Disney Plus the same exact time you hit play on Spotify. <laughs> And, and it was really clear with Wizard of Oz where they said to start after the third lion roars, that you drop a needle on dark side at the same time. And this one, I had trouble lining it up a lot of times. I, I was always really close, but never exact. And I couldn't exactly figure it out. Uh, and not to jump into Alice, but Alice lines up when the thin ice, she touches the water. Alice is kind of looking down at her reflection. She touches the water and it kind of ripples out. And, and you want him to say thin ice right when she touches it. So I felt like that one lined up perfectly with that. Wow. And this isn't your experimentation with this, Alan, is exclusively on vinyl? Uh, no, I, I did it with the uh, Spotify version okay. a lot because it was easier to control it. 
Yeah, it's got to be a little, yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's all, whenever I try to do any of these types of things, that's always the trick. Like, like Ken said, you know, like I was sitting there and I had the Disney Plus remote and I had the, and I had my, my left hand on the Spotify and I was like trying to figure out like, you know, and then as soon as I hit it, the little blue dial on Disney Plus goes around. I'm like, oh, I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) And so like. Nick Mason wrote a biography and that was one of the first things I read when I thought I was onto something. It's called Inside Out and it's Nick Mason's official biography of being in the band and he actually ran it through David Gilmore and Roger Waters and Rick Wright to make sure that A, it was all correct and B, they were okay with it. And from my research, it seemed like they were okay with everything but a couple of Roger changed a couple of things, but basically they were all like, yep, this is about what happened. And there's not a lot of books about Pink Floyd out there that I could find. And one thing that Nick Mason wrote was he was talking in one of the first chapters in my book, I kind of lay out the idea that Pink Floyd did this intentionally because they had done three soundtracks before they ever wrote Dark Side of the Moon. So there were three movies that they worked on in the studio with a film projector that they wrote soundtracks for. And Nick Mason wrote in the book, he said, quote, using a stopwatch for specific cues and creating interlinking musical moods that could be a cross faded. This method of evolving and modifying themes played to our strengths, but we had no scope for self-indulgence since the recording time was extremely tight. Uh, We had only two weeks to record the soundtrack with a short amount of time afterwards to turn it into an album. So he talks about a stopwatch a couple of times and he says how precise they can be with a stopwatch. So you can imagine it's 1972 and they're in a studio with a film projector and a stopwatch trying to figure out where to start and stop different parts of their music they've written to kind of jibe with Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that that bear is repeating. I I I like when you wrote that. And and Joe and Paula, I'm sorry I wasn't able to get you copies of the book in advance. But you know the premise really is that they had so much experience writing soundtracks, which we covered in detail in this podcast. That you know why not? You know why wouldn't they play along with with films since they were already so adept at doing that? that that's a a fun premise that kind of gave me a rush when I was reading the book. And they've reissued most of that. I think Moore and La Vallée have both been put out. And then there was one com- called Committee that never made it out, I think, if, in my in my knowledge. It may be out there and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that it, that it is. Um, I particularly, I, I became quite enamored with both of those soundtracks after I watched the movies that they were part of. Um, which was strange because they were both, well, I say it's strange. It sounds like such an American attitude because they were both foreign language films in really bad quality on YouTube. Um, but I watched both of them twice. And at that point I was kind of hooked on, on, on the music at that point. So, so the idea is through the experiences they had, they figured out, you know, they, you know, how to, use this technology and so the 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 thinking here is that this was done entirely on purpose and so presumably you know there's always the question right when you have an album you know why is why does this song fade out here or why is this song you know seven minutes and 32 seconds as opposed to seven minutes and you know 
<laughs> seven seconds or something like that. So, so the thinking here is that they would then be able to sort of manipulate the the edit and the mixing of the album in order to correspond as they're working in this environment, right? Yeah, and what I found with Pinocchio, and I'll stay on that one here at the first, was that at the end of Wish You Were Here album, it ends and Geppetto starts the next album lost and he's in the rain. And it's as if, if you were in an opera or something or a play, it, it changes. The play changes directly as you change albums. So he's looking for Pinocchio in the rain. He's confused. He's sad. He's wet. And it's just like immediately drop in the animals. And it, it's a very different sound, different feeling. And I thought, well, that's really intentional. You know, that was pretty freaky. True, true. I'm tempted right now just, just to throw in a tidbit that we skipped over. I like in the forward of your book that any proceeds from this book that happen to go beyond your publishing costs, you will donate to charity. So uh, th 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 this, th 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 this isn't like you're just throwing a book out there just to get some clicks on the internet and to get some quick sales. This was something that you enjoyed enough that you wanted to share on your own dime. Yeah, so two things with that. Um, one, I, this was a real labor of love. I work, I work pretty hard on it. I get up really early in the morning, so I, I would do this in the morning before the kids got up and uh, nice. then go to work. And, and I, I, I finished this in less than a year. And um, it's not that big, but I mean, it's, it was a lot of kind of research and work and whatnot. And I read a bunch of books on Pink Floyd to make sure I knew what I was talking about and to kind of build up the case that this was intentional, you know, that they had all these soundtracks before and that they were, you know, uh, using this as a crutch almost to say, you know, you know how to write the music and everything uh, and that they were soundtrack artists. And so um, number two is I have a fairly successful career and I don't need really the money. So I just wanted to get this out there and for people to enjoy it. And I'm a big Pink Floyd fan and music fan. So I just kind of wanted to make sure this gets in people's hands and I'm not going to do an ebook. Um, again, I've been doing books for a long time. I don't really love ebooks. My eyes get really tired from reading them and I do <laughs> sometimes, but I, I just, I much prefer sitting and holding an actual book and a cup of coffee on a cold day or whatever and by, by the fireplace. And um, so I'm probably going to try to just keep it electronically. Now, if it gets really popular I, and I can't keep up, then I'll probably do an ebook just for ease of <laughs> whatnot, but I'm going to keep the prices low. And so Alan, you talked earlier about the Peterbilt Diaries, is that is that? Uh, yeah, the Peterbilt Journals. Yeah. Okay, the Peterbilt Journals. So that sounded very intentional, right? You're gonna like postpone your your uh, career and what you went to school for to right. research life and write short stories and capture that experience and share that. Does was this the same way when you when this piqued your interest? Were you like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna write this. Or, or did you did you just get so enamored by it that you're like, oh, I have to share this with uh, with the world? Was it was it as intentional as, as that original? Uh, I started taking notes immediately and started writing immediately as I was watching Pinocchio the first time. And so, yeah, it was pretty intentional. I was like, I think I may have a book here. There's a lot here. So I started started taking a lot of notes. And as it got into the 30 and 60 page length. I was like, okay, this is, I need to read more. I need to flesh this out. So it was intentional. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, like if there's three guys 
in in the world that can relate to that i think you've got them here on the line with you. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome the palaver is a labor labor of love no doubt yes <laughs> yeah y'all have done a lot of episodes how many oh it's probably what 160 170 all told that's a lot yeah <laughs> yeah in less than four years yeah, and probably any of one of us is likely to wake up early in the morning so that you know we can do research on whatever band it is that we're we're trying to. Um, that's that is sounds like a indeed a labor of love. That's that's pretty incredible, actually. So to change topics a little bit, but stay on. Wish you were here. The cover art that this guy Hypnosis did. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I've never heard it said aloud. Yep, it's I, Hypnosis. Yeah, Storm Thurs. You're yeah, right, Storm. And so yeah. he did a bunch of cover arts for, for Pink Floyd and other bands like Led Zeppelin. Wish You Were Here cover art is so fascinating once you start peeling it apart because it came in a black celluloid. So if you got an original pressing of the vinyl, you had to tear apart black celluloid, which if you break it down, it's film. Mm. So he designed it as film around the music. So once you take that apart and you put the record on and you start looking at the cover art, it's this guy on fire on a movie studio, which uh, I thought was a nice reference to Pinocchio when he catches fire in the movie. His finger catches oh, wow. fire. Oh, wow. And so there's this whole thing in the Nick Mason book about how they had to get this stunt guy and they really yeah. set him on fire to get the one picture. And, you know, it's 1970, whatever, three or four when they do this. And, you know, they, they had to really set him on fire and take a picture of it. And it happened really quickly uh, and then put him out from being on fire. <laughs> and, then, um, and then you've got the studio set behind it, which is, you know, Roger Waters talked about a lot during the wall about his hatred of kind of, I don't know how you put it, but like the being a star celebrity or whatever. And I just thought that was a great background for, you know, movies and Pinocchio and everything. So I think there's a lot in the album covers. And I think every album cover has a lot of stuff like that. So I guess the one interesting, uh, there's there's a couple different avenues I want to go down, but but since we're, we're staying you know, focusing mainly on, on the Pinocchio aspect at this point. Pinocchio was released in, what, 1940? Which means, again, you know, th it must have been a, a deliberate choice if Pinocchio is, in fact, the key. And, and you're pointing out a lot of, of, of areas where things sort of synchronize and, and whatnot. So, you know, it, it sounds to me like, you know, it's not like, this is going to work with any old film, right? right. And I <laughs> so, did try some other stuff. Okay, and and, and so I'm I'm. I guess just I to make sure I wasn't crazy, I tried some sure. other stuff. So like, so was there other points? Like, what were some of the other experiments that you tried? Like, Ooh. were there other characters with cigars, or were there other things that that tipped you off while you were listening or watching? <laughs> thinking, oh, I'll try this. I've tried Dumbo with um, that. Uh, Momentary Lapse of Reason album a couple of times. And it just doesn't work, but I have tried it a couple of times. <laughs> when, when, were you like watching it with your kids, at, like with your headphones on? Like, well, just, just, <laughs> no, I was just in my office. Trying to get a twofer. All right. Um, and then on the animals cover art, it's the Battersea Factory. Sure. In the power station. And, yeah. And Nick, 
Nick talks about how Roger Waters drove past it all the time during the recording of Animals, and that's probably where he got the idea to use it. And obviously, there's a pink balloon of a, a pig, you know, floating. And I thought that was a nice animal kind of a childhood idea of a balloon. You know, Pinocchio would hold a balloon, maybe. And and then my image, and I may be right or, right or wrong about this, but the the Battersea has these chimneys that poke up and they look like Pinocchio's nose to me on its side. So that I may be stretching, but that's what I thought. Well, uh, talking about visual components, I wanted to credit your artist. Uh, so who did you work with to illustrate Floyd on film? So the cover design, uh, if, and if you're listening on a podcast, it's a brick wall with a, a little movie projector projecting a rainbow, and then there's a silhouette of Pinocchio. So she captured a lot of different images all at once, which was great. Her name's Jenny Wilson. She lives here in Texas, and she's predominantly a web designer for websites. And that's what I loved about this was I, I wanted somebody that had no kind of preconceived book design stuff. Mm. And she actually tried to hire this out to a bunch of people. Uh, she tried five different people to do the cover and they wouldn't touch it because of Disney and Pink Floyd. And so, <laughs> so they, they were all afraid they were going to get sued. And so I said, look, can you just do this? And I promise I, <laughs> you won't ever get sued. I'm not going to ever sue. So um, she's a great web designer and um, she put this together all herself and she sent it to me and I just immediately was blown away. I was like, that's it. You've nailed it. This is great. All right. Well, well let, let me humor our audience with what you wrote in the legal disclaimer. Uh, the printing Floyd on film is a criticism of the music of Pink Floyd and the use of images by Disney in conjunction used only to illustrate the coincidences and synchronization that may or may not be in the music slash lyrics. Due to the cost and nature of printing a book, this is a not-for-profit endeavor and any profits derived will be given to Interfaith Housing of Dallas or North Texas Food Bank. Furthermore, the amount and substantiality of the images in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole is negligible and would not in any way constitute a re-imaging of a Disney book. There's a bit more, but that's, that's the key part of the legal disclaimer. I, I enjoyed that. I'm curious, did, did you seek out legal advice for writing that disclaimer or? Uh, my dad was a lawyer and second of all, um, <laughs> I, did, I did do some internet searching on what a criticism work can hold up to in court and this is exactly one. So it, you can use copyrighted images all you want as long as you're trying to make the case that this is X, Y, or Z. So uh, interesting. You can borrow images and you're not trying to profit from Disney. You're just trying to make the case that this happened. Indeed. Anything on animals that you would like to add before we jump to the chestnut of uh, Alice? Um, just that there's really great lyrics in animals that you really got to pay attention to what's happening on the scene where, you know, uh, Roger will write like wave upon wave of demented ain't. Avengers march cheerfully out of obscurity into the dream. And then there's Pinocchio washed ashore, drowning after he's been sent, you know, out of the whale's mouth and everything. So there's Roger really did, I thought, a great poet work 
on on the animals album um and and there's just a lot to the lyrics it's really pretty deep um and i do include the lyrics in the book as an appendix so that you can kind of look through it and also at the end of each chapter you can kind of look at the beats per minute of the songs from Pink Floyd and kind of look at the beats per minute because these are all musical movies too. So you can look at the beats per minute of like, you know, when you wish upon a star and it lines up with 140 beats per minute with shine on you crazy diamonds. So that was another synchronization of like, oh, the music in the movie actually kind of lines up in a lot of things with Pink Floyd. Now it's not exact. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, it doesn't exactly line up, but there were too many coincidences for it to, to not work. Oh, sure. Yeah. In, in addition to being uh, an author and a working professional, you also seem to have some music skills. So uh, you play a bit of guitar and you must have a metronome. um i I did some internet sleuthing on that and i'm a a very poor guitarist but i do have a few guitars ah wonderful wonderful okay okay yeah if you're not exactly figuring out the bpms of each individual song it's probably available somewhere online it was easily found online yes ah but still very very resourceful the flavor research department is into that kind of a thing I, I always find it interesting that no matter what one will admit their skill level at guitar, they never just say, I have one guitar, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I have three. <laughs> oh, no. Are, are we counting? I must have five or something like that. <laughs> Paul, you you're, you next? <laughs> I have less than I used to, but I have uh, I have a few. A few. You probably have seven or so. And, and Joe, you've got to be up to a dozen now. I, I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, since we're both in Dallas, I'll have to come see. I, I, I firmly believe in retail therapy, no doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're going to make the jump in the hyperspace where uh, we, we finally get to Alice in Wonderland. And uh, I, I truly similar to, to Joe's kids, I truly in, enjoyed that, that movie just as a movie unto itself. And, and I enjoyed the spots where I was, you know, fading up, um, uh, the wall. Uh, so it's a bit more ominous mm-hmm. and already Alice in Wonderland is ominous. <laughs> so it, it, it kind of doubles down on the creepy factor. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Have you have have you sat in the room and 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 played this with uh, just uh, you know friends and whatnot? Have you have you seen the look on anyone's face as this has been happening in real time? I have not because of the pandemic. I've, <laughs> I've been fairly alone, like everybody else. So a lot of this was done during the pandemic, uh, which was good and bad, right? Right. Um, so the coolest thing about the the wall research and, and this one I found on the internet, there's one webpage that referenced this. So I, I did get this one from somebody else. Um, I didn't come up with it, but I did do the research in the book and I found a bunch more coincidences and everything. And one of the things they mentioned was that the CD reissue of the wall, I guess in the nineties had this weird thing where when it gets to comfortably numb, it goes negative six minutes as if you're supposed to skip it weird and then the next song is the show must go on 
and it doesn't work with Alice unless you skip comfortably numb. It's a single that they wrote and they shoved it in there and it doesn't work to synchronize with Alice. Mm. It is so cool. <laughs> we, we obsessed in this podcast that, hey, you didn't belong on the wall. So, so this is a new twist to the theme. We're, we're going to take a while to, to digest this, but um, I, I, I played with um, Alice in the Wall right up until comfortably numb and then and then, and then I wasn't able to get back to it so so maybe I'm glad I stopped <laughs> <laughs> and there was I remember when we talked about the wall and we talked about it extensively and and we we talked about you know a couple of a couple of uh items of lore one of them around hey you how Bob Ezrin sort of came in and in, in the 11th hour and said, Oh, we need to switch the order. Hey, you belongs here and this and that. And we also talked a lot about how they almost didn't get the album done in time. And it was a very, and, and now this perhaps maybe some extra insight as to some of those shenanigans with the song flipping and the, um, the difficulty in getting the album done on time. If they were, if they were trying to synchronize. Yeah. Interesting. And so the, the most obvious synchronization is when the professor, which is a big bird, he's got a pipe and everything, he comes on the screen and the fish are kind of dancing around him to school of fish. And that's when the album's singing, we don't need no education. So it's this professor looking bird guy and there's a bunch of fish swimming around him. And I thought that was just like so perfectly captured uh, yeah. right there. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And then when the speaking of hey you, um, I pulled up my notes here. Uh, that's right when the Cheshire Cat comes on the screen, and it's like hey you. It's the second album, you know, and the cat <laughs> appears out of nowhere because it's just eyes at first. Yeah, that was pretty creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite as creepy cat? as the fox in Pinocchio. I mean, I mean that was that was just absolutely chilling the, the have a cigar with the fox was absolutely perfect um but i had a similar freak out with the cheshire cat it was it was already weird enough in in the in the uh ori original ad adaptation of the book <laughs> and then after that alice goes to the tea party and that's where you know roger famously sings together we stand divided we fall and you've got the Mad Hatter, and he had, I'd never noticed this as a kid, but he has a number on his hat that says 10 divided by six. Yeah. Yep. And he wears it the whole time, and it's divided we fall. And I was like, oh, what a perfect little weird reference that he put in there. Hmm. Huh. I assume that was hat sizing or something. That's interesting. Um, and then for the, for the Alice movie, I felt like there were some synchronizations in the most obvious other than the comfortably numb thing was the ending, which the end of the movie is Alice gets caught behind the wall with the queen and there's all this kind of craziness. And then there's a trial, which is the second to last song on the album. And so you get this song called the trial and then Alice is on trial with the queen. And I thought that was a great synchronization of the wow. end. And that's my least favorite part of the album. Maybe that's why I stopped it early. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, can you stop the album at that point? So <laughs> I always stop the album. <laughs> I, too, did not care for that until I watched it with Alice. And the more I watched it, the more I liked the trial. Wow. It, I've it always gives it a loved lot of credibility. the trial. 
<laughs> Always love the trial. Now I'm afraid to watch it with Dallas. Although I do have a feeling I know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my night. <laughs> for the wee hours of the morning. And then the last line of Roger Waters' lyrics in that whole album, it, he says, isn't this where? And the last line for Alice in Wonderland, she says, over the hill or over there, I wonder where. So her I wonder where question, and then his is, isn't this where, period? So it's kind of a flip of each other's sentences. Um, and I thought that was a very direct reference. The, um, so this is one of the questions that I, that I had going in. So, and, and you probably explained this in, in the book, Alan, so I'm sorry. But like you said, these are musicals, right? Um, so do you watch it with the sound off? Generally, I mean, this is like, you know, Floyd on film for dummies now. Um, do you do you watch it with the, the sound off? Do you turn it up to hear those those, you know, words in the in the movie? How does that Good work? question? Um, I crank them both up. And I did this with Wizard of Oz when I was younger. And I thought it was great because it went back and forth, uh, a back and forth between the movie and the album. So that when the Pink Floyd was being instrumental, oftentimes they sure. were talking in Wizard of Oz. Okay. And then vice versa, you know, David Gilmore would start singing and they would get quiet in the Wizard of Oz, like the tornado was roaring or whatever. Uh, the great gig in the sky is right when the tornado is going. So she's screaming her heart out, you know. So I think there's a lot of synchronizations there, just kind of letting the movie do its thing and then stepping back. OK, cool. That's good to know. So crank them both up. Crank them both up. Turn the lights off and crank them both up. OK. I did a lot of uh, just riding the faders. I, I, I was, you know, kind of, I, I had the book open and I, I scanned the book and I found those key spots that it sounded like would really excite me. And I, I, I just shot for those spots. Um, but, I, but I suppose if, if you're really in the zone, you can have them both up at the same time. Yeah, and I tried to highlight some of those for the podcast here to kind of give you some anchors to hold on to while you're trying to watch it. Wow. Okay. Um, Very cool. We probably shouldn't give away absolutely everything, but I, <laughs> I, I think we hit the real chestnuts. Um, and then obviously with the Dark Side of the Moon, I was talking about Wizard of Oz. So with Dark Side of the Moon, it's so obvious now, like there's a rainbow on the cover and she sings the song somewhere over the rainbow. And then you open it up and there's this heartbeat monitor, like an EKG. And there's heartbeats all through that album. Uh, mm -hmm. If you listen closely at the beginning and at the end and stuff. So I think there's, a, again, Storm Hypnosis did a lot of good work of making, you know, the the cover art blend with the movie really nicely. We're fans of Storm. We, we did an entire episode rating Pink Floyd album art. <laughs> it's incredible. Well, and there's, there's so much that goes into it uh, too. And we, we do still harbor fantasies about getting Storm's partner, Poe Powell on the, uh, on the, the, the podcast. It's one of our goals for 2021, which we probably better get on, but um, yeah. This is a, this is fascinating. I was I was thinking um, back in, in the days before the pandemic shut everything down. There is actually a, a small theater in Dallas, and I don't remember which one it was, but they were over the course of 
six or eight weeks showing the original Star Wars trilogy. And I took my kids down. And so, of course, you know, venues like that, they're always um, they're they're always advertising, you know, what other things they have coming up while they have an audience sitting there. And one of the things that was coming up after Return of the Jedi was uh, the Wizard of Oz with Dark Side. So. I, I I didn't obviously get a chance to go, but I remember them. I'm like, oh, that would be really cool to see it in a theater like this. <laughs> Tough sell for the kids. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if the kids. Well, I probably could have gotten Grace to go along with it, but uh, yeah. I, in fact, I asked my kids, at least my uh, my second son, just over the weekend. I, they've never he's never seen The Wizard of Oz. You know, I I can I, apparently I failed as a parent because I can I <laughs> oh. I can remember. Uh, you know, when I was when I was young, I we used to watch it. You know, it was that was in the days before cable TV and everything else. And it was broadcast like once a year. Mm-hmm. And it was like this event. Right. Oh, it's the Wizard of Oz night, you know. But uh, I, I failed my children. So. Well, and I keep wondering if, you know, after all the Pink Floyd members are, have died, we get a second album that matches up with the second half of Wizard of Oz. If the, if maybe that material's out there magically and they're ever going to release it because, mm. you know, it, it, it ends so short. It, it gets, she, she starts walking on the Yellow Brick Road and she meets the Scarecrow and then it ends and you're like, oh, I want so much more. <laughs> Well, I want to say there is a YouTube version that just starts the album over again. I have never watched it. I tried it second time through and I found it was a little questionable on the syncopation and everything. I think it works really well on the first go around and then it just kind of is too much. Yeah. Hmm. So so since we don't want to give away everything in the book and we want to leave things for our listeners to explore for themselves. If I could, if I could take a little bit of a tangent, Alan, based on some of the the background information that you provided us um, in, in preparation for this, so one of the things that you mentioned very explicitly is that while you are a huge Pink Floyd fan, you apparently are not, in any way, shape, or form, a fan of the final cut, and <laughs> and that that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is a record that that you know generated some controversy here on the podcast so i, I i'm just i i'm i'd be interested if you would share maybe some of those not so positive thoughts with us on the final cut uh it's an album i've only listened to a couple of times i just don't care for it um and and again to my biography i am m- I have about 4,000 records vinyl at home and most of it is heavy metal and punk. Uh, I do have a good smattering of classic rock in there, but I, um, I, I'm much more into Metallica. So the final cut just does nothing for me for some reason. I thought it was kind of laborious to get through and it's just not, not my favorite album. You may but- be in the majority. <laughs> just saying. I, I I think Ken and I are the only people who who can appreciate the final cut on any extensive level. Um, but the rest of the Pink Floyd catalog, you know, meets your your satisfaction. Every album's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Outstanding. What's Where your you... favorite album cover? What's your top three? Um, Wish you were here because the black cellophane is probably number one, and then number two would be dark side and then number three would be the wall i love the cartoon characters on the inside Mm, nice nice do you have like a bottom two of (laughs) album covers from pink floyd 
Yeah. Metal mist. I didn't understand the ear underwater thing. I, I read about it and I just, it kind of missed me. Also in the majority there. <laughs> and then I guess Final Cut, I thought was weird. Well, as a vinyl collector, what were the hardest Pink Floyd albums to come by? So I, my wife got me a present when I first started talking about this thing. She found in Japan a demo studio version of early cuts of all the songs from Wish You Were Here and Animals, but put together and it was called Wish Animals Were Here. And it's got a cover where it kind of blends the guy on fire and the pink pig floating and everything and it's a double vinyl wow. and it was, i think it was like 200 dollars. it was really expensive uh but it's a really nice collection it doesn't shed a lot of light on the versions they're very similar to what you hear on the albums but it's nice to have it all together and it's a really nice package and it was totally a surprise at christmas Nice. The joys of the global economy, right? You can find anything if you're willing to pay the price and wait for it to ship. <laughs> yeah, if you look on Discogs, you can find CDs of that probably cheaper. Yeah. Discogs, actually, that's where I went. Paul, that uh, that Fly From Here original version that you have came from ah, Discogs. Thank you. Which was the only place you could find it for a reasonable price. Mm. Yeah. Discogs is a great resource for a lot of things. That's cool. All right, I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna go on a big tangent. Sorry, Ooh, Joe, because I think you're no, no. I, but it sounded actually, like Alan was familiar with the band Kings X. Uh, I have a friend in Houston that is their number one fan, so I will be telling him about the new album coming. <laughs> he might actually be the number four fan after us, after the three of us. <laughs> Not sure. No. I have only listened to Faith, Hope, Love, and I my knowledge ends there. But I did like it a lot. Fair enough. Mm. If you like metal, you may want to check out Dogman. Dogman. Yeah, right, I will. That's wild. Yeah, just monster tones on that on that album. That album's just huge sonically. Oh my. All right. So this podcast has really gone the route with mostly yes, Genesis, Rush, and Pink Floyd so far, with with the smaller reviews in between there. So any any anything on, on vinyl of note in your collection from any of those epic prog bands um nothing else of note no <laughs> alan okay. have, are you a fan of the concept album by judas priest nostradamus by any chance are you familiar with that i have not actually listened to that but i'm familiar with the, that work i haven't really listened to it I, a lot of the newer stuff again i'm 47 so my judas priest kind of ends around ram it down Fair enough. It's a lot to listen to, but there are some some really high points to it. It's it's certainly interesting. There's there's no doubt about it. All right. So I I, <laughs> I have absolutely no. Well, no. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing because I have absolutely no punk cred whatsoever. Um. And but I'm going. I I have to ask because as close as I get, Agent Orange does that fit in anywhere? Oh yeah, that's definitely an '80s punk. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So I find that you know. People sell, either they died or they sell because they need money, punk records from the 80s. So Dead Kennedys, Fugazi, Minor Threat, Government Issue, anything on Discord. And I, I tend to fall into this stuff and people like will just sell me the whole collection for very cheap prices. And I'm like, really happy to take it off their hands. And, <laughs> and a lot of times it's in pretty good condition. Uh, I remember going to Southeast Dallas to a really shady 
apartment complex and went oh, this guy's apartment and he had about 200 records and they were all really nice condition and punk from the 80s and he sold them all to me for like ten dollars a record which you know an original dead kennedys with all the stuff inside you know the posters and everything i mean you don't find that very often wow that's uh that's amazing it also sounds like a bit of a moral quandary but so in a collection of four thousand vinyls uh you know are there are there multiples are there are there multiple copies are you an aficionado of different different pressings and things of that nature how, yeah, how does so how does that work you, yeah once you get into this world um and and again being older i forget that i own something so i'll pick up oh yeah the appetite for destruction and i'll see it and think oh that's a nice copy I don't have that. And then I'll get home to go file it. And I'll be like, I have three of these. <laughs> that definitely I've done that. Before. I've done that more, more than once, my friend. <laughs> um, I, um, I, I will buy certain colored stuff occasionally. If I'm just like, well, I've got the blue, I might as well buy the red. I'll do that sometimes, but mostly I'm just, I'm just a music fan, so there's not tons of that obsessive collecting of like, well, I've got to have every color or something. I know yeah. Henry Rollins talks about that quite a bit, how he has to have every version, and I'm not really like that. I, I'm more, I'll more obsess over a single band. Like Led Zeppelin, I bought all the Super Deluxe box sets recently because a pandemic, and b I once I got into it, I was like, oh, Jimmy Page really did a really good job remastering these finally and the extra outtakes were really cool and so i, I kind of got into it and couldn't stop um so i kind of focus on single bands a lot of times wow nice on the floyd tip do you approve or disapprove of roger waters live well joe actually has uh tickets right joe is it it's been rescheduled I, for you it had it has been rescheduled yes i had tickets for last september or something and now it's rescheduled for next september but you know i still have my tickets and i'm excited to go so in 2014 i went to austin to see the roger waters wall production mm. at the frank Irwin center and it's hands down the number one show i've ever seen and i've seen thousands of shows it was so phenomenal from the second that plane came in and crashed into the wall to the very end it was just it was excellent. Nice, nice. Uh, okay, and any other live Pink Floyd shows to uh, to round out the episode? To uh, throw some red meat to the Floyd fans. We have uh, a big Floyd following in Sweden, by the way. <laughs> uh, that momentary lapse tour in ninety, or what was it, eighty nine or nine? It was a long time ago. We loved it. Yeah, that, that was, was our initiation, first, really. Yeah, that was my first Floyd show. I think I was. 14 i was a freshman in high school so and the whole school went i thought it was really interesting it, everybody came in with Brilliant. a shirt the next day yeah 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 we, we had a a good maybe i don't know a quarter of the high school at best but yeah yeah it was a large contingent and of i both fans. ended up going to see that show with uh young ladies uh that we knew <laughs> nice and I can tell you that my uh my concert going career went way downhill after that that um, ever since then, I've seemed to only go to concert with dudes. Were you drinking Bartles and James? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> That's hysterical. Oh, oh, I got one. Queensryche, are they metal? 
Yes, definitely. They opened for Metallica in Dallas in 1989, and it was phenomenal. It was the ice storm. Oh, great. Wow. Okay, yeah, we, we've we been since the Rage for Order era, possibly. We, we've been very into them as, from the metal perspective and the prog perspective, and we've debated to what extent we can cover them in this podcast. Oh, we haven't debated. We've agreed. It just... We, 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 the only debate is how far you're willing to go because at some point you reach the point of diminishing returns and you're just like, I don't know. The new Queensryche, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same, but you could make an argument. It's legit. All right. Queensryche one episode. (laughs) No, we could, we could probably do three episodes on mind crime alone if I know us. Oh my god. All right, we are well, so actually, off the could, rails. Wait. Oh, but 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 think about that. We could do we need we need to do mind crime the way we did the wall. So we've we've got to cover the live performance because we all saw it. That's true. That's true. We Outstanding. All, we all did see the live performance. All right, but but Ken, your your point is well taken. We have kind of gone a little <laughs> bit far afield here. <laughs> but, but Joe, but, I'll, I'll ask you the question. Um, uh, uh, since yeah, yeah, do the host thing and, and ask everyone how they can get their hands on Alan's book. Well, okay, so there you go. Um, yeah, so so we'll we'll kind of close it up here. Alan, thank you so much for for coming along and introducing us to to your work and your thoughts and, and having a little bit of fun random uh, conversation afterwards. And to Ken's point, how how do our listeners get their hands on uh, on your book? Uh, thank you for having me, by the way, and uh, it was a pleasure. And everything I've written about is just my speculation, so I am not the gospel. Don't send me an email saying I'm a horrible person. If you go to floydonfilm.com, you can send me an email and I'll send you a book. So it's that easy right now. I am fighting with Amazon to try to get this to where they will print it and ship it and we're not quite there yet so this is still kind of beta version uh early days and i'm happy to send them out to anybody that emails me outstanding so there you go all right well we look forward to um you know what other ideas pop out alan if, if you you know some inspiration hits you we would be very curious to hear about it but we certainly thank you for your time it's been fun and look forward to uh catching up with you again great thanks a lot guys Oh, yeah. We salute your uh, research, dedication, and all that went into this. It definitely piques our interest as as podcasters. Thank you so much, Alan. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions on Pink Floyd music and film. What are your thoughts? Let us know. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>